You're listening to Oblivion. It is May, what is it, 18th today? Moving uh, right along. Yeah, 2021. I hear birdies chirping in the background there. Yep. I'm still in the uh, southern Indiana area. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, kind of closer than you usually are to Timmy. And it's a nice warm spring day, finally, after quite a cool spell. I'd like to apologize to the listener. For, uh, there was a couple spans where I uh, uh, didn't post the uh, latest ones. I just posted two, was it two weeks ago or one week ago? I can't remember the one that I uh, should have done earlier last week. Uh, at least put up for people to listen to. So. Doing a podcast is a complex operation. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, um, yeah, on the, I guess, uh, I guess we should cover the COVID situation, which is continues to steadily improve. Uh, For the first time, I actually read some good news out of uh, India that cases were dropping. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that the cities starting to come down uh, yeah we'll, we'll see so how I guess goes the, there. the big question to get to is do you think that it's finally I mean we wouldn't say that it's over but I mean do you think it's actually ending or do you think that we're just uh, there's going to be another surge at some point because I've heard some I, people talk about there'll be another surge in the fall and the winter hmm well, it all comes down to whether or not um, uh, the immunity lasts. Uh, what really what comes down comes down to. I think currently it's it's obvious that there is widespread immunity in the population, and that's why it's going down. And especially everything is loosening up everywhere. Um, even the CDC for vaccinated people. Last week, it was kind of a, or a few days ago, um, loosened up uh, the mass mandate for vaccinated people, saying that you can, in most indoor settings, you don't have to wear a mask, which, uh, yet again, kind of like the, the sudden shift in the talk about herd immunity, which was, uh, right. I mentioned it last time, was it shifted from it was a thing to now it's just kind of hopeless, you know. <laughs> It's probably not going right. to happen, you know, and uh, it just it just uh, jarring shift, you know, in the talk. And it's the same thing with the CDC. And, and, and I believe it comes from the the same problems of bureaucratic uh, intransigence, no, intransigence, I guess that's the wrong word. Um, Complacency and inertia. I mean, it's, I'm, it's I, I, that's not the that's not the words I'm thinking of. I mean, I'm thinking of it, at least as far as the CDC is concerned. It's like their messaging. It's like too much authoritativeness without um, uh, without backing it up with a kind of a complex 
explanation of why they're doing it because it's pretty obvious. Or anything that, empirical. Right. I mean, I assume they do have it, but it's obviously not being imparted to the general public or, the, more importantly, the you would assume fairly highly educated people in, in the media who are a little perplexed. And, of course, they're reporting well. Well, and they're also having consternation from all kinds of public health people, you know, that this it causes just more confusion. Um, and it and it also kind of. Um, it um, detracts away from keeping a consistent message that it's a good right. idea to, for instance, today I went to Lowe's and got uh, a water pump for our water system and some various things at Lowe's. And although I know I don't really have to wear a mask and it'll be fine, it's just a general idea courtesy to do it in an indoor place right. like that still. I mean, is it really that goddamn difficult to wear a mask? Well, um, I asked the same question I would ask, have asked six months ago, like, what does one have to lose by wearing a mask? Yeah. Well, and, and unfortunately, there was this uh, early on widespread, including the people like Fauci that were like, oh, you don't really need to weren't acting like it was a big deal or it even helped, right? And, uh, and then suddenly it's like 180. You're a monster for goddamn not wearing a mask. Um, this, I don't, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, whatever the politics are. This is just a fucked up way of, um, it's, it's authoritarian, I think is what it comes down to. Is I know best. And whatever I say, whenever it is, is the right thing. And you, you people should just go along with it. And what I said there in the past, I did it for some other reason, you know, <laughs> some kind of I good reason. The same thing, because I, I was reading an article shortly before we be, began, and it was the, the article was about the, the CDC and saying that the CDC said, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. And that it basically said, if you if you get a a message from a trusted source, you should believe it. And of course, that's exactly what authoritarianism is. Like, I'll decide if it's a trustworthy source or not. And so cumulatively, the way I see it is, uh, I think that there's corruption involved because the CDC has capitulated to the political pressure that everybody wants to just think that this is over. And so they said, sure, go ahead and take the mask off because everyone's been resisting everything that uh, people have been trying to do in terms of following uh, best practices to, to deal with the, the pandemic. But we went from this idea of herd immunity as it was this very clearly understood that you need 80% at least of your population to be vaccinated before you have herd immunity. Then suddenly herd immunity didn't really matter anymore. It's like, we're never going to reach it, which is, you think is a bad thing, but oh, guess what? It, it's not that important. So now you can be, you can have partial herd immunity, just like you can be partially pregnant. And then on, they, they then turn around and say, well, we're not going to reach herd immunity, but you can go ahead and not wear your mask. And then the real problem with that is since we don't have any vaccine passport system or vaccine verification, if you're not wearing a mask and you're vaccinated, you have no way of knowing when you go out into public if other people are also not wearing a mask 
if those people are or are not vaccinated. So you could be around unvaccinated people. And what I'm pretty sure the CDC has been saying is if vaccinated people are among other vaccinated people, they don't need to, to wear a mask. But if I'm out in a larger group of people and there's no vaccine passport, there's no vaccine verification system, and everybody's like, yeehaw, we don't have to wear a mask, then you're obviously going to be passing uh, through the space of unvaccinated people. And uh, I don't know why anyone uh, would want that, regardless of how safe and secure you feel being vaccinated. And you also have to think about all of the essential workers and uh, like the people who are working in, in Lowe's. If you work at a place like that, Maybe you're vaccinated, maybe you're not. But when the CD says, oh, you don't have to wear masks anymore, then you have all these people coming in. And there's no way for you to know if they're, they are uh, going to be vaccinated or if they are potentially a vector. Well, what I want to know is, are there studies going on as far as this question of the length of the immunity? Um, yes, that's a very important uh, thing to it, bring up. You know, is it happening? I don't know. Uh, I, I hear everything, right? It, it seems like it's all speculation, and I just don't buy, it doesn't make much sense to me, because there should be plenty of data, right, uh, about this. Is, is it the typical thing of where the CDC isn't going to say anything until they get some kind of double-blind peer-reviewed study, you know, all together right. and published two years from now, or are they just going to goddamn, well, we kind of think it's this. You uh, think it's a guinea pig thing that they're just saying at this point, let's just say, don't wear the mask and we'll see what happens? I, I'm not sure about that. Um, what I might speculate more from this, uh, uh, one speculation, it's not clear, but the reason that they are uh, that they are more confident about long-term immunity. And that's why they're loosening it up, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, This could very well be it. It's kind of what I have been reading, I mean, at least as far as its near cousin, the SARS-1, apparently had pretty good long-term immunity with it. And I'm hopeful that coronavirus is more like that than the flu, (laughs) which would just be a horror. Right. I mean, it'd be such a hassle. I mean, sure. Take getting the vaccination every year wouldn't be that big a deal. Um, right. But still. But the, the big worry for me is since it's a novel virus and it's a it's a new vaccine, we can't be all that too sure of anything. I mean, we don't know that sure. the yeah. Uh, that the vaccine is going to last for a certain amount of time. I mean, the assumption seems to be that it'll be good for at least a year. But if you got vaccinated in April, your second shot, um, it'll be before a year when we get to the winter. And winter Mm -hmm. is the flu season. Will there need to be a booster? If Mm -hmm. these variants from India, if they cycle around and come into America, will a booster be necessary to give you further protection from the the variant and will there need to be uh, supplemental updated annual shots of the original vaccine for the original virus you know this is all and and it may be that and it may be that um, nature is going to be the only thing that's going to answer that question right right 
that so, suddenly comes back, it's like, oh, well, uh, <laughs> we need a booster, right? Because this thing is fading. These vaccines are fading. And people's immunity is going down, coming right, back. But you and, don't want to have to keep learning things the hard way, which has been right. one of the miserable and tragic aspects of, uh, in America, certainly, hmm. and, and now uh, India, along with Brazil, and I think even in Nepal, they're having problems. And in Japan, uh, there are now medical organizations saying that they should just cancel the Olympics because apparently their system in Japan, the healthcare system, is being pushed to the limits. And they only have 3.5% of their population vaccinated. And, of course, what vaccine they have, they want to give it to the assets. They want to give it to uh, the athletes. And uh, it just doesn't seem like there would be all that much of a celebration that, I mean, would it really be all that much fun to have the Olympics when you're going through a pandemic and your healthcare system is strained? It's, it's just full, too artificial and forcing the issue. And, and it's already kind of a sad as far as getting on the subject of the Olympics. A lost cause. Pretty much, you know, they put all this money into it and lost all you know, the Olympics, it kind of going back to the uh, uh, horse racing thing, I guess it's not quite as bad, but still, the Olympics are very fraught. Uh, they're this overly expensive, hyper-marketed thing, much like the Kentucky Derby, um, right. uh, that has all these phony values attributed to it. Um, standing for these great human qualities of courage and national unity and uh, international cooperation, but then it's all corporatized. And wasn't it uh, at a fairly recent Olympics where there were these rules that only McDonald's could sell food? Well, yeah, yeah. Like that's, within, that's probably been the case for 30 years yeah. now. You know, you can't, uh, you, you couldn't the wear sponsors. any, you, right. You couldn't wear any clothing that, uh, promoted anything or had an insignia from, unless it was from a certain label and talk about authoritarian and completely not free and, and phony. Like this isn't about anything, but just and, 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 money. And as you put it being hyper-marketed. That's and, we can, and we can remember back in when we were young, how the Olympics was still a quote, um, uh, amateur. I think it was still an amateur, quote, amateur thing when we right. were young, right? With Spos the basketball team, like. the Americans would send actual college players uh, to uh, compete. Uh -huh. uh, lost to the Russians in a controversial game in 1972. For the most part, were able to keep winning. And then when they lost in, uh, in 1988, they said, well, no more of that. And they put together what you may remember was known as the dream, dream team. Uh, uh, Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, all these great players and they went and they killed everybody but it, it, it certainly was not an amateur team, team at all and there really wasn't anything all that uh great about it uh aside from the fact that you could say this there will probably be a never more incredible assembly of basketball players on on a team and now it's gotten to the point where at least with the basketball that um the, the best players don't even want to go like they don't even care and so you have a uh, hodgepodge of some pretty good pro players and some other people. And uh, internationally, the, some of the rest of the world, uh, Europe especially, is kind of caught up with, with America. There are a number 
of uh, European players, foreign players uh, in, in the NBA these days. Um, but before uh, I forget what I was going to say uh, earlier with the with the thing with this pandemic that's been so miserable and tragic is we we keep having to let something horrible happen uh, before we'll get it together. Like uh, in, in February of 2020, Cuomo wouldn't just go ahead and shut down uh, New York and New York City. Right. It was like, well, we uh, we did this. This would happen. And the, so the result was uh, 10,000 people died who otherwise wouldn't have. And I just really hope that this time around in 2021, we don't do the same thing where we're so eager for this to be over and to do all these incredible things like get a haircut um, that uh, that we're going to let our guard down. We're not going to pay close attention to the dangers that we still face and that the immunity could begin to wear off. And then before you know it, you start having surges somewhere again. I mean, that would that would suck. So to answer your earlier question, I really do feel now, I mean, look, feel the whole thing is that it's coming to where it's going to continue to go down, mainly because I think most of it is just from immunity has gotten to such a point that it's just petering out. Uh, do you think that, that way more people have been infected than the official numbers show? Oh, of course. I mean, it's, it's got to be, it may be as much as double, you know. Um, right. I mean, if you could say if, it's, it's nearly double the deaths, going back to that report from last yeah. week where it could have been up to 900,000 people, mm-hmm. um, then. Um, yeah, if you're asymptomatic carrier, um, why would you have gotten tested? Right. But um, but then to go back to the immunity, one of the concerns that I've heard people voice is that the um the immunity from the vaccine is longer lasting and more of a sure thing. Whereas the natural immunity you get from having been infected, uh, they are not as sure about. Uh, in other words, could, if you could a variant also infect you because there have been some examples, though uncommon, of people I think being infected twice. Mm-hmm. But also that the natural immunity may wear off before the vaccine immunity. Yeah, and if that happens, but, that could yeah, be, uh, sure. But I mean, I, I'm just saying in the immediate future, and that, that's what right. we're just not sure about. But what I think should happen once it gets down to a certain point of it being mm-hmm. pretty low, we should be able to do what China did, which is you right. know, or, or or Korea, you know, do hardcore testing of people, um, and and do close um, contact, contact tracing. tracing. And see if you can, what little pockets are left, really try to snuff it out. You know? Right. Right. Uh, or at least isolate people. Yeah. Right. So that's people that's what. Crazy of my freedom. Yeah. So I mean, we'll talk about freedom, and then meanwhile, in Mississippi and Missouri, the the government is uh is going against the the will of the people in the um, ballot initiatives that were approved in the respective states in mississippi it was a medical marijuana program uh which they the supreme court in mississippi eliminated saying on a technicality that the the ballot initiative process was put together when there were five congressional districts in mississippi and now there are only four of course the the two things don't have anything to do with one another like losing a congressional district and getting a medical marijuana ballot initiative on the ballot 
have nothing to do with one another. And they say, well, you're supposed to get five districts, but since we don't uh, have five, you only got them for four. So it was invalid to be on the, uh, uh, on the, on the, on the ballot. Uh, and then uh, in, uh, in Missouri, it's the uh, Medicaid expansion, which was, was voted for that they wanted to expand Medicaid coverage. So then all the Missouri legislature did was say, well, we don't have the money uh, for it, so we can't do it. So, I mean, how is that freedom? How is that democracy? How is that representative government? Like, so now all you have to do, if the people ever vote in something that you don't like, you just say, oh, look, here's our budget, but we don't have the money to do this, so we won't do it. Just really, really sad. There's going to be some hardcore poverty going on. Hey, why did you immediately? Why did you say it happened in Missouri? I'm sorry. Missouri, the ballot initiative was uh, Medicaid expansion. Like more oh, people okay. were going to be covered by Medicaid, and so you have these people that they have jobs, but they still can't afford their Obamacare through the job. Uh, there are people who have worked their whole lives, but they have come down with new health issues as they've gotten into middle age, like uh, type two diabetes, and they either are going to get this expanded coverage or they're not going to be able to uh, take care of themselves. And then on top of that, I just think the most rotten and cruel uh, thing that, that's uh, got to be um, uh, hammered on is taking away this $300, the supplemental to the unemployment benefits with everything that everyone's been through the past year. Think about how many families have lost uh, a loved one and thus have lost a source of income, not to mention the, um, the, the people who have to are like single parents. You, if you don't get this $300, you're supposed to go out and get, get a job, but then who's going to uh, take care of your children. So you cut off of the $300, you go out and you get a job and then you have to then hire uh, a sitter for the children. As opposed to just giving the person three hundred dollars so they can stay and take care of their, their their children, as though that isn't a form of work. That's not a form of social responsibility and keeping uh, a system and an economy running. It's really just pitiful. And through it all, of course, we don't hear our Democrat president say a single word about anything other than, if unless I'm mistaken when the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Republicans started to bicker about the disappointing April jobs report, and they said, well, it's because of $300 benefits, Biden came out and said, well, if there's a job uh, where you can make uh, the, the, the money, then you have to take it. Like, you can't push back or disagree with what the other people said. Like, it's time for the party that, uh, that, that led an insurrection on the Capitol to shut up and go away. We don't need to listen to them anymore. Oh, this is what the Republicans want. Well, then I guess this is what we have to do. It also doesn't make sense to me this. like The, the latest report it says that uh, Texas ends federal unemployment benefits. So it, the, the sentence doesn't make sense. Like Texas federal, like Texas isn't the federal <laughs> government. How can any state say uh, we're going to end a federal program? I mean, I we're just going to – we're just going to opt out, you know, which they shouldn't be allowed to do. Right. Right. It's just like, this is, 
it's not your choice. It's like if you like rural electrification or uh, you have to have schools and, and, and so forth. Like, well, we'll just opt out of this. You know, desegregation. Well, we'll just opt out of it. <laughs> I mean, you can't let people do this. And just this uh, chronic, hard-ass, total lack of compassion, exaggerating any kind of, of benefit, any kind of help to make it seem I, the, the term that they were, uh, I heard him use is generous. Like this $300 is so generous. It's like, let's see, $700 billion for rich people because they wreck the economy. $700 billion, $300. Like those aren't even close. I mean, $300 is uh, a, a pittance. I mean, now, this is the un weekly unemployment benefit. Is that right? Well, it's a, it's a 300 supplement to your uh, unemployment to, right. that, that you make when, when you're looking at, at, at a job. And I think it's monthly, not, not, not weekly. But it's just, of course, people should get the money. I mean, they should, they should expect to get it. They should want to get it. We have been through uh, a, a war. We've been through a, a major crisis. It's, it's been a nightmare. It's been miserable. I mean, people should have at least the rest of this year just to get it back together and to have some time to decompress and 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 chill out. It's like you can't um, you can't have people go through something that is such a severe crisis and just immediately turn around and say, uh, "All right, uh, get back out there and and start working these crappy jobs again." And I, I know I said this last week, but I just want to ask all these people. And there's not a single pundit, there's not a single commentator anywhere on all of the networks, anything that I read on, on the internet, where they said what really should happen is that all of these payments should be become permanent. We should we should ha we should get a stimulus check for a thousand dollars a month. Each household should get that, and unemployment benefits should should go up to three hundred dollars. Oh, and here's another interesting story. There's an ice cream place in Pittsburgh, and they had had the same problems that they were talking about in the uh, April jobs report where it's like, well, we, we have these job openings, but we can't get the people to fill the jobs. So they changed something. And then all of a sudden people started applying for the jobs. And you want to take a wild guess <laughs> of what they changed? <laughs> Paid them more possibly. Exactly. They raised the pay. So instead of like $7, they raised it to like $18. So that's another thing that should happen is that there has to be some sort of countermeasure against this, uh, ridiculous and, uh, and undeniable exploitation that if you're going to pay people these miserable slave wages, that's the reason that they don't, they don't <laughs> want do to take yeah. the work on top of the fact that you're, you're still going to, there is the pandemic is still going on and you would still be putting yourself at some risk, which isn't worth it to do under any circumstances. It's certainly not worth it to do for $8 and 25 cent job. So if you say we're going to boost these unemployment benefits to $300 and we're going to keep up with these, uh, these monthly checks, then you can say now the business owner has an incentive to pay people something like a real wage, right, which would actually make it competitive. You there? Yeah, I'm right here. Oh, sorry. That was fizzling uh, something there. Thought I'd straight up the audio. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, what else is on our agenda? We, uh, 
one thing that from a couple of weeks ago or last week or that uh, we forgot to talk about was uh, the uh, various, um, which I may, maybe Mississippi was another version of that, but California losing one of its congressional seats. Right. Uh, because the census proportionally, California has gone down compared to the rest of the country as far as its population. Um, now, I, I, I haven't read any details about that, but I mean, you could assume to a certain extent that the cost of living is just outrageous <laughs> and most of California um, compared to much of the rest of the country. I mean, for instance, a friend of mine, uh, I don't know if I've told the story, but recently mentioned uh, that uh, they have uh, one of them is from the Palo Alto area, which is where Google and all that shit is now. Silicon uh, Valley. Silicon Valley uh, area. And um, a friend of theirs sold a house. And I think it was a thousand square feet at two bedroom and two tiny bathrooms. Um, and it sold for $2.5 million. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. So uh, these are the kind of now prices. Now's the time to sell your house. <laughs> yeah. And uh, coincidentally, I'm, uh, actually, I've had this building for the last 19 years now. Uh, in uh, downtown Louisville. And, of course, it's in a, a traditionally black area uh, up against a now renovated, uh, oh, what would you call it, the housing projects uh, called Shepherd Square. Uh, they tore them all down and rebuilt buildings. So at least it's kind of a better neighborhood. But anyway, I've been unable to sell it for years. And finally, after failing to sell it to the longtime renter, uh, just to put it on the market. So I've kind of got some knowledge of the housing market currently, which is rather interesting. Um, it's uh, uh, apparently is very good for sellers, and this this is a strange situation. There's currently a big bubble going on, probably countrywide, but definitely for sure in the Louisville area uh, and the bubble is caused by a lack of supply of properties for sale uh, which which began of course because of the pandemic everything shut down people didn't want to sell their house and deal with people right uh, that's right. a good thing um, usually in the Louisville metro area there are say 50,000 properties for sale at one time and at the, the bottom of the market uh, within this last year, it was 500 uh, for sale. So one one hundred, uh, the usual number of houses for sale. Now apparently it's up more uh, one thousand. So there's only one one fiftieth of the number of houses for sale. Now what happens with what happened with that? Apparently, um, it's kind of this strange cycle where there's a very small supply. You've got a fair number of people that want to buy property. So you've got this bubble that's occurring because like a property will come up uh, for sale and you'll get 20 people within a half hour making uh, offers. 
on it. And then, of course, mm-hmm. then a, a bidding war might occur. And uh, right. does where it's like suddenly this house is now forty thousand dollars more or whatever than uh, right. it just was a few months ago. Um, um, you have a bubble that way, but then you have this other strange situation where it's not. They're having a hard time bringing uh, people might want to sell and might want to uh, say upgrade or downgrade or whatever their house. But, uh, you know, it's kind of the whole deal is contingent on them feeling like they can, A, find what they want. You know, there's nothing on the market. So they're not seeing what they want on the market. There's too much competition, et cetera. So they're afraid to put their house on the market. So <laughs> the situation right. just feeds on itself. Yeah. And it actually, with my building, which is, you know, uh, in the past, when I've tried to sell it, might get couple people sort of interested over months uh there were two unseen offers the first day uh full price they were kind of bullshit but uh right still that occurred which you know that never happened before uh, many 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 calls and and probably within the first three days 15 separate people looked at the building you know um and i got a we got and signed an offer for it within three days um, it might, you know, Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it was less than what we had it listed for. But and if you've got <laughs> another place to live, then you can just go ahead and sell the property. Or as one of the right, other right. things one has to consider is if there's um, that there's not enough uh, supply to meet demand, you could make some good money selling your where you live, but then mm-hmm. you would have to turn around and spend that money to get something else. Right, yeah. And if nothing's available, then you're, what you going to do? I mean, that's simply why people aren't putting theirs on the market, because they just feel like there's nowhere they would go then. <laughs> if their house sold, right. then you know, what are you gonna, what the fuck are you going to do then? So it's a, you know, I mean, it's mo- mostly, uh, like most bubbles, it's a sort of the, uh, oh, what's the term? Uh, uh, white uh, first world troubles kind of thing, you know. First world problem. Well, do you think that we're we're uh, we we're going to have another crash? Well, that's what my realtor thinks because um, you know it's just kind of a out of control as far as the prices. Um, and yeah, you look on it, it's just everything is inflated fifty percent all of a sudden in the Louisville area. Now, of course, across the country, they uh, <clears throat> and this kind of might feed into this inflation too across the country. You know, you have of course, it's fewer people that are moving from other places here, but uh, it still is an attraction. They see the prices here, and they're like, oh, man. And I was, what was it? It was, the New York Times kind of has this interesting in the real estate thing where it's, they have a couple or a person that's looking for a new home or apartment. It's usually condos, you know, or owning an apartment or whatever. Um in the Manhattan or uh, New York general area. And they they give you three properties that they were looking at, and then you're supposed to guess which one they liked. And it's kind of interesting because you just kind of see what's available and what the price is and what they're asking and stuff in New York. So let's say like last week, it was a one-bedroom apartment. The prices were around $700,000. Or, I mean, small, <laughs> you know? Uh, right, right. 
uh, apartment. I, I don't. What, does your sister have a one bedroom or uh, two bedrooms? Oh, so she's got a two bedroom, and she mm-hmm. she probably keep is holding on to that because she's probably got a decent price. You know, monthly price compared to what people would pay now. As far as I know, I mean, for a while there though, uh, they were trying to really jack everything up in oh, yeah. New York, and they had to organize and and try to get some kind of rent control in place because you know wealthier people come in and buy the properties from the less wealthy people and then they want to renovate the buildings jack the price up they'd rather just sit on an empty building and and say you've got to pay ten thousand dollars a month to live here uh then have it be where it's affordable which is the the natural control theoretically in place in a free market system that you can only elevate the price of something to the point that people can afford it and then you have to naturally bring it back down you say i'm going to sell a pizza i'm going to sell it for a hundred dollars and people are going to say i'm not going to pay that you can't keep it that expensive um so but but and and you have and, and you have in new york this strange situation well it's it's nationwide too um you have this awful disparity of people that right. simply can't afford, couldn't even think about buying anything, and much less think about getting an adequate size space to rent. Right. Right. I mean, the the ability to buy. Well, for instance, my renter who was unable to buy the building, by all rights, should have been able to, mm-hmm. um, but because he didn't have a, he had more of an under table like, uh, uh, worked at a bar as a bartender. Uh, you know, it was mostly under the table cash. Uh, his friend kind of owned the place. And so when you go to a bank, they're like, well, you didn't earn enough. The ratio of you earning enough to what you're going to pay wasn't high enough and we can't give you a loan. And that's what, that, what happens to so many people. I mean, if you're, you're, if you're even working two minimum wage jobs, right? Uh, yeah. You can't work two full-time jobs. Some some people do. Yeah. You got sham democracy and you got sham capitalism. Yeah. And 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 this obscenity of all this space, say in New York, you know, vast full buildings, these luxury high rises that they build everywhere. They've got ten million dollar apartments all over the place, and they're like empty 80% of the time because they're like foreigners that bought it or rich people that have their house in the Hamptons or whatever. They live there uh, maybe three months of the year and then they go to uh, Breckenridge for the winter and then they go to Maine for the summer. I mean, it's, um, It's that's what your housing market is built around. Yeah, and it's just and then you've got all when, these when you think when yeah, that's what I was getting to. You've got all these goddamn homeless people. You've got or or people just on the edge or inadequately housed or you know precariat. Uh, I mean, that's the vast majority. I would say you could call the precariat at least half the country. Yeah, I mean, if if I think if thing goes wrong, it, they're out on the street. Yeah, I mean, there was that statistic recently. I forget the exact number. I know it was over 50%. Maybe it was 70% of people that uh, don't have $400 in their bank. (laughs) Uh, I wonder what's going to happen when after, I mean, people haven't been able 
to work. And uh, and many families, if you're going to say 600,000 people have died, well, that's 600,000 families that have lost someone. And then on top of that, you're going to take away these $300 benefits. Maybe we'll get one more stimulus check, but if we do, that will definitely be the last one. And then you're just going to keep having all this inflation. And this is on top of a system that was already, uh, to, to use, the again, the term uh, uh, precarious, ever since the 2008 crash, I mean, the, the divide between the, the, the rich and poor um, has, has really widened and become more extreme. And we still have not, we, before the pandemic, we had not returned to standard of living in 2007, where people could afford what they could afford prior to 2008. Now, maybe everything wasn't in a complete free fall like it was in 2008, but it still hadn't really worked its way back up to uh, uh, 2007 and before levels. So you have all of that. Now we've had the pandemic. Now people are going to be cut off of this money. I think it's going to be a, a, the summer of, uh, of hardcore uh, poverty. It's like there's that song, it's the time for the season of loving. <laughs> it's the time for the season of hardcore poverty. Let's we got to get together and record a uh, like a, a satire <laughs> counterculture album where just all the lyrics are, you know, it's the time for hardcore poverty. And, um yeah, let's uh, st- let's sing, sing this song. The uh, speaking of uh, great injustice, the situation in Palestine. Uh, oh yeah, just, sure. Talk about them. Just uh, the uh, unbelievable of rocket geno- bombs, genocidal uh, maniacs, uh, pogroms throughout Israel. Where if you're a Arab caught out in the street, you know you're gonna get beat up and or lynched uh unbelievable bombing. yeah have you have you seen those towers that they've blasted I uh, if, yeah i don't know if they even show those on tv i don't know what they're how they excuse that where it's like uh i guess hamas a hamas terrorist was in that building uh, a residential building of course and so we're just gonna drop this 20-story tower, you know, give, give them a few minutes warning so uh, everybody... If you humanize yeah. the other person, then you can say rah, rah. One of the most horrifying and chilling pictures I've seen, there's a, there's a picture of an armed Israeli soldier in full gear with a machine gun walking by, and then right there on the corner hiding just out of the side of the soldier is a Palestinian child, like with his arms over his head. <laughs> I mean, that just says it all, this yeah. completely disproportional, out of whack, you know, bullying of this state of the art advanced military. Yeah, they, 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 probably, they, they probably held off the next uh, few frames, which is the guy going over there and stomping his the little kid's head in, you know, Right, right, or or firing the machine gun at his feet, you know, to terrify him, and then and and, and move on. But I mean, you don't really need anything more than just what you saw. I mean, that that right. picture uh, tells the story. And 
Got to got to get rid of those terrorist babies. That's all. I got well, to say. And it's 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 just doubly sad because whatever uh, romanticized version or uh, vision rather that that one might have had of the world after the pandemic that. You know, maybe we will learn something from this. Maybe we will we'll have a greater appreciation for life. Maybe all of the things that we were so angry about and these um, um, these, these uh, endless, ageless conflicts that we had with one another will uh, will mellow out. Of course not. Like we're not we're not even done with the pandemic and. It was, uh, you know, one bad night of uh, some, I think, hardcore uh, right-wing police coming into the the Palestinian area of Israel. I think that's something a lot of Americans don't understand, that, that like 20% of, of uh, Israel the, is Palestinian. Like, it isn't just that they're in Gaza. Am I, am I correct on this? Well, uh, right. I mean, but... They're a minority, but... Yeah, but but of course, uh, over several things. I mean, there was 48 when it was initially the invade, you know, the takeover of what was Palestine. Uh, you know, it was just the Zionist Jewish takeover started in 48, and then in 60 was it eight? Uh, that's when they really rolled in and took over much of the area, kind of leaving the two enclaves of Gaza and the West Bank of Jordan River. Um, yeah, so, you know, and there was in 48, uh, a large number of people were just totally displaced and pushed into Jordan and other parts of the Middle East, uh, uh, just refugees. Of course, <clears throat> that's been one of the contentions that there's no right of return, that, you know, for Palestinians. Any uh, Jew in the world has the right to go to Israel and become a citizen, but the Palestinians have no rights, you know. Uh, right, come back there, and of course, within the last twenty years, the situation has become—I guess it's been fifteen—where uh, you know after they removed all the quote settlers in Gaza, so then Gaza was basically, and then the Israel in response to Hamas winning the elections, which they supported because they wanted a boogeyman. Uh, when Hamas came in, then it was like, oh, we're, we've got, we're just going to turn you into a prison. We're in a uh, total embargo, just leave us trickle of, quote, humanitarian uh, input into the area. And otherwise, it's a total prison. You're blocked off. You can't travel. You got to stay in there. And right. uh, that's like three million people stuck in this tiny area. Uh, and the West Bank, you've got the... Uh, 600,000, I think it's settlers. Maybe that's in Jerusalem. But there's a huge number of, quote, settlers, which is basically people, uh, Israelis going in and taking over houses and land uh, from the Palestinians. And they're totally supported by the military, and they just keep doing it more and more. And that's what spurred this latest violence, uh, which, you know, when you say, quote, violence, when you, like, read, see it on TV or read in the New York Times, it's just like it just kind of happens. It's and it's and it's always in the context. Of, well, it's rockets. It's response to this rocket fire. You know, Israel guys, had the right to defend itself. And, you know, and there's never any context. It's it's never started by you know uh, 
the situation, you know, it's um, uh, anyway. Specific action, a catalyst, an event. Yeah, yeah. it couldn't, couldn't be that you've imprisoned and totally oppressed this population. That couldn't be the problem. It's an, a literal apartheid state, worse than South Africa ever was. Yeah. And you want the Abby Martin had this re, re, uh, she has this thing called Empire Fires where he, her, her partner, uh, have kind of video series, uh, uh, <clears throat> mostly international politics, uh, foreign affairs. And they went to Israel back a few years back and did interviews on the street of people and just kind of talked about mostly about uh, what people thought about, you know, the Palestinian question. And it was just amazing. A whole, just about everybody there was talking about how the Arabs either should just be killed straight out. They were saying this on the street in the open, you know, with all their friends supporting, you know, that we need to kill these terrorists, meaning all the Arabs, you know, uh, and drive them out of Israel. You know, the Zionist thing. It needs to be a Jewish state and get these god-awful Arabs out of here. You know, just the most hardcore Nazi fascist <laughs> populace. You know, and a lot, a lot of them were were Americans. You know, Americans that go over there. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, you know, yeah. Surprise, surprise. You know, the militant, the two super militant c- countries. Perfect the place for them to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's again that 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 persistent uh, psychopathic mentality that this violence is just simply innate and natural and unavoidable mm-hmm. and does happen and has to happen. And so you're you're a fool. You're uh, uh, you're just uh, living in a in a fantasy world. You're stuck in the '60s, man. <laughs> like if you if you actually believe, no, the world doesn't have to be like this. Like you can't even say that you can't you you can't be taken seriously if you say the world doesn't have to be like this. People will just say no, it's the way the world is, and that's it. And they and you know and they want to be comfortable. You know you can damn well sure bet they don't want anybody kicking them out on the street. They don't want anybody shooting a gun at them. They don't think that their child should have to walk down a sidewalk and see uh, someone from an opposing group with a machine gun. But if it's going to happen, all these other places in the world then that's just how the world has to be. And not for a single second can, can you get anywhere saying uh, it doesn't have to be like this and it shouldn't be like this. And it isn't natural because if, if Woodstock taught us anything, if the counterculture uh, showed us anything, it's that people really can live peacefully and happily together. They can do it. I think that we have a great project uh, for for this summer to do this satirical uh, uh, parallel universe counterculture or uh, anti-counterculture album. We'll take these iconic songs and invert the lyrics. All right, we'll start start writing on that. Get on that. Get on that project the latest the oblivion album first oblivion album um, it's not just a it's not just a podcast it's now it's now a record label so what what did you think about the california losing population what did you uh, take away well the same things that you said and i i think that it's um 
it's it's the, the new trend that uh, that places are just too expensive. And it's, I wouldn't just say it about California. I would say it about cities in general. There's a combination of um, inability, or I would say more an uh, unwillingness to control the price of, of the cost of living, hmm. uh, on top of the uh, the hazards that 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 cities pose. That they're they're becoming uh, more unsavory and unstable, more violence. There was a shooting in Times Square, but certainly out in California, you have to look at the the wildfires, right? So you have the climate change. That's, that's going to be affecting California and places out west. Uh, sea level rise, that's going to be affecting uh, Manhattan and, and, and the East Coast. So those two elements just make cities increasingly uh, undesirable to live in. And I, I think for, for decades, the trend has been people leaving the country and moving into the city. And so it's either going to get to the point where every person the whole world lives in one room, right? Or at some point, the population is, is going to start to, di- to disperse again. And another thing I think that the pandemic showed us is that with the use of the internet, living, a, living in a city or living in California is, is no longer uh, this thing that you need to be able to do in order to enjoy certain avenues or pathways uh, to either for work and, and career, or even for uh, uh, socializing, uh, because before before the internet, and certainly before the, the internet became as uh, uh, advanced and and versatile uh, as as it has become, where it's just people basically using it for everything. Uh, if you wanted to have a, a, a certain kind of career, you had to be in the city. Well, you don't have to be that way anymore. So the fact that uh, there's no willingness to control the cost of living. Like uh, these cities just are not going to say um, we can't just keep making everything more and more and more expensive because obviously uh, and not everybody can afford a, a $2 million apartment. And, um, and, and then the fact that they have this alternative, I mean, they can use the internet to, to work uh, remotely to, to work from, from home uh, and then on top of that, I mean, think about this, like you want to live out in California, you're, you're paying high rent, you're paying high property taxes, and then uh, you're, go- you're going to spend a good part of the year having to worry about wildfires. I mean, suddenly that just doesn't make it seem all that attractive. <laughs> yeah. So you can get out of there and I mean, you can live, uh, you can live out in the country, which before the internet would have isolated you both from certain kind of career opportunities, but would it, it would have also isolated you from a certain kind of culture. And I, I don't really think that's the case anymore. Uh, the, the internet has kind of had, had a leveling cultural effect in that, I mean, if you live in Indiana, um, you're not really any, any less um, woke or in the know about uh, cultural trends than if you're living uh, in, in the big city. But if this was 1975, it would have been uh, more localized in terms of, of your, uh, your, your perception and the, the customs, the way that you were living in. So, if, I mean, if you wanted to live in a hip, cool place to meet interesting people, see what was going on, uh, be in with the in crowd, be in on the scene, you had to go to the city. I don't think that is necessarily the case anymore. And on top of that, I mean, in a, in a uh, on top of the expense and the dangers from uh, climate change, rising sea levels and wildfires, 
is just the fact that I think that cities have become incredibly conservative. I mean, especially in Europe, you have uh, you know these uh, right wing Christians have taken everything over, and a city since it's a large and dense population, and you have millions of people, it has to be an open and permissive place. Otherwise, it's just completely uninviting and, and a nightmare. Because if it's a small town, you can say, this is how we are, and this is how we have to do things, right? And so we don't want this hippie shit here, or, you know, we don't want this, you know, LGBT stuff, or we don't want uh, the theater or art, you know, here in our small town. So if it's just a small town, though, and everyone knows everyone else anyway, and you don't really have to deal with other people because you've got a big yard or a farm you live on, it doesn't matter. But you don't want to have that kind of mentality uh, ruling the, uh, the, the scene when, you've got, when you're living with another million people. Because there's no way you can get a million people to all basically agree or to fit in with a local custom the way that you can a small town. So, yeah, I think the trend in California will continue. And I definitely think you're going to see the population in our major cities go down. And in fact, just this morning, I was seeing a report that the population for the third the population in Los Angeles decreased for the third straight year. And I'll guarantee you that by the end of this year, people will be living, will be leaving uh, New York City. Well, all right. That's a prediction. Well, all right, man. Good show. Uh, what you have any predictions, or, or you think we're still going to be? Uh, look, I'm I'm encouraged by by the pandemic. I mean, I can't right. believe I'm saying. Yeah. That, but I mean, I it's <laughs> kind of the first time that I've, yeah. that I've been you know tensed up when I start the day and I look at my newsfeed and I watch the television. I keep thinking, you know, Michigan was going to get out of control and we're going to have these other surges and we can't get herd immunity. But it does seem like uh, maybe we're finally getting uh, you know a, a break. I mean, the yeah. thing is. Maybe right now is actually going to be uh, the kind of safe time that we can relax, and then toward the end of the year we can start to freak out again. But it, maybe we'll have a, a, a nice, fun, good summer. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty pretty obvious that it's heading that way for the summer, but we'll just have to we'll just have to be vigilant. Uh, you know, on the personal level, if it looks like it's spiking up again, I mean, I'm definitely going to do my own lockdowns or at least, you know, right. be right. more I mean, mindful of the masking. Yeah, the and CDC's? Oh, yeah. Well, to, to go back to the CDC that we were talking about earlier, I, I did read a report where the New York Times interviewed uh, a number of epidemiologists after the CDC revised their guidelines and said, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. And most of the epidemiologists said, we're surprised that the CDC did this, and I'm going to continue to wear a mask for the foreseeable <laughs> future, which is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm glad I'm vaccinated. I'm going to let myself have a little bit more freedom, yeah. but I'm still not ready to go out. I'm still not ready to go to restaurants. And I'm, I'm, I'm anytime I'm out around anybody, I don't know. I'm wearing a mask. All right, man, let's skedaddle. All right. For David W. I'm sorry for David Miller. <laughs> this is David W. Overby. We've known each other so long. Sometimes uh, I think, I'm him, and um, maybe he even thinks he's me. Who am I? For, for David V. Miller, this is uh, David Overby, and you have been listening to the Oblivion Podcast. I'll see you next week.